0: Some years ago on Twitter, a novelist shared a rather strange boast. Sometimes I lose sight of why I want this whole being an author thing, she said. It's easy to get overwhelmed and forget the whole point of it all, which is, of course, to wreck you, the reader. Fascinating. Do we really want books to wreck us? Don't wrecks, you know, injure people. Well, novelist and Lorehaven writer Marion Jacobs takes a rather controversial position against steering our story vehicles directly into our souls. She instead insists that we should find stories that don't just hurt us, but help us to heal. Welcome again to Fantastical Truth. This podcast from Lorehaven.com helps you find the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond... Then we apply the meanings of these stories to the real world that our real-life author, Jesus Christ, has called us to serve. I'm Steve Burnett, and I'm blessed to publish Lore Haven. I'm also the nonfiction co-author of a book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent.
1: And I'm Zachary Russell, and I have been in a few car wrecks in my life, and they were not very fun things. I don't like to think about them, and it made it very hard to drive afterwards. And this is episode 83, How Can Fans Heal From Stories That Wreck Us?, with Marion Jacobs. Marion has
0: already entered the studio. I presume she had a safe ride over. How are you, Marion? I'm doing good. Great. So no wrecks, uh, no driving mishaps at all. It's great to have you. We've been uh, holding on to this topic for quite some time because it's one of our scary topics. And of course, <laughs> we're in the middle of Specktober, Spookytober, whatever. It's a time of joy and wonder and uh, no, no scary costumes at all. No witches or ghouls or goblins, just Martin Luthers and scarecrows and innocent things like clowns.
1: And if you're joining us from the future, you're probably wondering, why are we talking about car wrecks? Because in the future, all cars will drive themselves. But no, this is in 2021 when people had to drive cars and there are a few self-driving cars, but for the most part. People still crash their cars all the time.
0: And what could possibly go wrong with AI driven cars <laughs> as well as uh, AI or uh, algorithm driven uh, Instagram engagement, which, by the way, Marion has been known for recently as we speak. I don't know if you <laughs> call that a wreck or what, but before we speak to that real quick, Marion, once you just introduce yourself, uh, let everybody know how you got to Lorehaven and, of course, uh, what stories uh, you've been writing recently, including one that is available for folks who sign up for your newsletter.
2: Sure. I am Marion Jacobs and currently living in Southern California and I've got three kids and married to a philosophy professor. And I write for Lorehaven. I've been writing for Lorehaven since the very beginning. I that's guess. Right, that was, back in the
0: print days, 2018, that's, yes. Yeah,
2: 2018. And now I, I write fantastic fiction, mostly fantasy. Um, I have a steampunk fantasy uh middle grade novel appropriate for any age really 12 and up which is a uh, steampunk pinocchio retelling um in which the pinocchio character is an automaton so uh and that is available on my website for newsletter subscribers only and i'm i'm working on some other books right now and just submitting in that phase
0: Yeah, so that title is actually called Automated, and you can get that as a free download by subscribing to Marion's newsletter at majacobs.com. She's also been especially active on Instagram. We were talking last week with LG McCary about the Lorehaven Instagram, but uh, Marion recently had a reel that went super viral more than anything we have done, and uh, we would have to address uh, that particular uh, elephant in the room. Do you have any brief comments about what you did, Marion, that was so offensive just because you decided to throw down a few Asherah polls.
2: Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. You know, this is a topic that is, you know, I'm really passionate about. I had a very short uh, reel on Instagram. Uh, I don't even really make reels very often. And I said that sensual and sexual content in young adult fiction is like giving teens softcore porn. And I think we're up to tens of thousands of views at this point. Woo-wee-wee. And
0: just because you mentioned um, the phrase softcore porn, that's you know, right. That's I'm sure they right. I think all I, agreed with you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, it has more likes than negative comments, but Good. the negative so comments. It's not a ratio, are, but. Ugh. Yeah, no, I know. But the negative comments are very much. And the first day, this this started happening, I was not emotionally prepared. It was a little overwhelming. Now I'm I'm doing better now. I'm able to handle it and just mostly, for the most part, not read the comments. But the ones that I've been reading are pretty heartbreaking to see just that people really want, you know, to have a, what culture I guess calls is like sex positive message, you know, for for us to have to be sex positive for teens and not to make them feel condemned for their hormones and that sort of thing and a lot of people have said we should give teenagers porn.
1: Yeah, as though you know? it's a false choice between yeah, porn or being, you know, puritanical in an evil yep. sense.
2: That's and, right. You know, w-
1: which is always done, you know, that's a, how you know it's always a disingenuous argument is when mm-hmm. they they try to characterize what you're saying as like the worst possible extreme, you know, as opposed to their terrible ex- extreme. That's right. But, You know, but there was one comment on your, um, I I was looking through the comments there and there was, there's one that I I thought was really good, which is, you know, the real problem with this fiction that sexualizes teenagers is that adults read it. So then adults are thinking about children with this very sexualized framing. And that's really unhealthy for adults. It's, this isn't just about teens. This is about all people like not being exploited and seeing each other in exploitative ways.
2: Absolutely. I, I, that was like a really profound comment and um, yeah, thinking about, because even though, teen, you know, adults are reading these stories and they're often not, not really actively thinking about these characters being 16. These characters are 16 and they're in really awkward sexual situations, um, make out, you know, hat and heavy make out sessions, et cetera. And this adult, these adults are reading it and yeah, it's that's exactly right. Just thinking about these teens in, um, in ways that, that they should not be thinking about them and being satisfied by reading something like that, which is just really perverse.
1: You know, they just need to go read A Kiss Dating Goodbye and just kiss all night. That- <laughs> oh, you had to go there. Well, well Mar- Marion touched two third rails at once. Interestingly, as we
0: record... Uh, There have been two main controversies in at least American news. Uh, One of them is the general opposition of many parents at uh, public school board meetings, including but not limited to this kind of fiction uh, that exposes younger readers uh, to all kinds of sexual themes and I would wager even sexual perversions normalizing this kind of material uh, as endorsed by public school teachers or public school leaders. And that crosses over into political issues, but really it's a social issue, is how are we supposed to teach our children to engage with these ideas? Yes, they're in the world, uh, but should parents be permitted, and I I think they should, uh, to talk about this stuff out loud and in public without being labeled as bigots or haters or terrorists or anything like that? Uh, The other third rail is the social media opposition uh, that is increasing. Um, Some people, at least one person, has been going to the U.S. Congress and saying, uh, all at once, uh, Facebook and Instagram, because Facebook owns Instagram, they're contributing to this uh, this toxic um, body or beauty images, particularly among uh, girls who use these services. And from there, this person and her supporters are going and saying, well, this means that we need to crack down on certain political ideologies and fake news. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, you just jumped from one theme to the other. It's, uh, it's a complete... Um, apples and oranges comparison? Like, Where do you get from that to the other? And I'm thinking back here, like, okay, uh, maybe there are hazards about social media, maybe social media and these kinds of YE books can wreck people, which is what we're gonna get into in this episode, but apart from the issue of whether you need rules at the federal or state level to deal with these things, are we going to talk about the exact ways that it wrecks people, or are we just gonna kind of hover over that issue and imply that we already know the solution? I think we know just exactly the direction that our leaders are going to go. Hover over the issue and not talk about specifics. How do these people get wrecked? What is this doing to their expectations for sex and emotions and body image and all of this? So we're going to plunge into that topic now. Uh, By the way, get those uh, links to Marion's Instagram reel and anything else. uh, Several articles that she's made, we will put those in the show notes. We're also going to talk briefly about Sponsor One for this episode. It is returning champion Andrew J. Chamberlain. He's written a science fiction novel called The Centauri Survivors, and I'm going to quickly read the description here. When a habitable planet is discovered just four light years from Earth, governments and private corporations rush to build a ship to take the first humans there. But only a few of the colonists wake up from cryosleep after the 60-year journey. And as their ship comes into orbit around the new planet, they find themselves surrounded by death as the survivors scramble to make sense of what has happened. They find their own lives under threat and pursued by their enemies. They escape to the surface of the new planet caught between their human adversaries and whatever the planet throws at them. The survivors fight to stay alive as circumstances drive them towards a final deadly confrontation. This is book one of the Centauri sequence series, one reader praises it by saying this gripping piece of fiction is well-written and worth recommending. You can find the cover and more information, including purchase links, in our show notes for this episode, episode 83, or go to lorehaven.com podcast sponsors. That leads to my first question for Marion, which is one we ask of every guest. Marion, how did you first discover biblical truth and fantastical fiction, which is really just a long way of saying, when did you accept Aslan as your Lord and Savior?
2: <laughs> uh that's a great question and i think um i don't know my answer might be slightly unusual um i think oh,
0: you gotta say narnia that's the rules
2: oh well hang on I'm what <laughs> oh, amazing! <laughs> so uh i i do i do think a lot of um my at least a lot of the friend readers and friends and writers and people in my circles tend to say I've been reading my whole life. I started reading Narnia when I was like two. And, uh, and that's just not my story. I, I actually was not a reader as a child. Uh, I have ADHD. I just wanted to go outside and play. I did not want to sit and read a book. So it took me a little longer to start to read. Um, I did not discover Narnia until after I had read Harry Potter, first of all, in middle school. And so um, I first read Harry Potter and then moved on to Narnia. And it wasn't until I had read a few of the Narnia books that I even, that it hit me. Oh my gosh, this is Christian. Nobody had told me that. Um, I wasn't instructed.
0: Oh, good. That's in the, the ways of best Narnia. Way to I just, dis- mm-hmm. <laughs> I discovered
2: it all on my own. So I was probably late middle school when that happened. And then, of course, after Narnia, I read, I read even more. So
0: awesome and now you're also creating these stories uh, including but not limited to automated uh, which is the one you can get by subscribing to your newsletter uh, what led you to try to create these kinds of stories on your own uh, which is partly how we got connected uh, through realm makers uh, and what's uh, next for you as you're uh, as you're forging forward uh, looking for publishers and seeing what else what other images come to your imagination
2: yeah sh- so um originally i started writing poetry and a little bit of creative writing, like short stories in middle school around that same time that I started reading more. And then, but I was never really encouraged in it. Um, No one ever told me that I was particularly good at it. And I had a a few other things that I was encouraged in, uh, mainly like performing arts. And so um, I kind of dropped it after a little while and I didn't pick up writing again until after my second child was born. I think that was in 2014, I want to say. So I just thought, you know, I really miss writing stories and creative writing. I think I'm just going to write some short stories. So I started writing short stories and I think I wrote one and I was like, this isn't going to work. I need to write books. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was, I jumped into it pretty quickly, which I am very uh, spontaneous and impetuous. So um, it didn't take long for me to be like, I'm just going to be a novelist.
1: (laughs) Boom. So So you. You mentioned the performing arts. Uh, did you ever write any plays?
2: Um, only when forced to. Um, I, <laughs> I I was a theater major in college, so um, I did take a script writing class. But other than that, no, I have not.
1: And when you said that you discovered on your own that Narnia was a Christian allegory and had had Christian themes in it, was there one particular thing that really stood out to you, or was there like what was like the first thing that you noticed?
2: Yeah. Um. You definitely just. Um, Aslan, um, and the stone table was the most obvious thing. Um, and once I, once that clicked in my brain, I saw, I saw it all.
0: So you're approaching these topics, not just as a creator, but clearly as a, as a fan of these kinds of stories, uh, you and Timothy have three children. So your charge from the Lord is not just to, uh, make stories, but also to enjoy stories uh, as an individual. Mm -hmm. And then also as a mom, uh, you've been looking for stories that your kids can enjoy. Uh, which as as both uh, well as both as all three as fan as creator and as a mother your job is to practice some discernment uh, which has led to a lot of your articles at lorehaven is uh, they're focusing on the themes of discerning the content of these stories uh, which of course is a topic of interest to me with the pop culture parent like it's it's an adjunct mission to this goal of exploring fantastic fiction we are we are supposed to as christians discern stuff which can lead to some scary conversations and you, dear sister, go straight in there. Uh, And I really (laughs) appreciate that uh, because your perspective is one that we need. It needs to challenge us uh, and we, we need to think about these things. And that leads to my second question about these two articles you wrote for Lorehaven. Uh, what experiences and stories led you to explore hurtful and healing fiction? Our big topic now, inspired by your articles, No Stories Should Not Wreck You, the Reader. And then the sequel, which we published not too long ago, Yes Stories Should Help Heal You, the Reader.
2: Yeah. So, in order to answer that question, I have to back up a little bit to go back to what we were saying about just my family and my husband and what we do, like our, our mission as a family. You know, like I said before, my husband is a philosophy professor um, and one of the ways that we even decided to get married was because we like to sit and talk and think together to talk about ethics and to talk about discernment and to, to sit down and watch a movie and just tear it to pieces. And some people are like, why are you doing that? That takes all the fun out of it. But no, that is the that fun is of the it. That is the
0: amen, amen, preach.
2: <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, we just have a deep desire to love wisdom, to love truth and to love the truth of scripture, the wisdom found in scripture, just more than anything, even, even more than the story itself. To find to help our children discern where what is wise, what is true, and to see that in stories is just, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a family calling. So what leads me into this is just having a desire to communicate truth and wisdom and virtue in the classical sense of the word, meaning the fruit of the spirit. I feel an unbending, an unyielding desire to say, no, this is biblical. This is true. And I truly do not care what somebody else says. If someone else disagrees, like if I see this reflected in scripture, then I'm going to talk about it. And so, and I know, and that has often not made me the most popular person, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) So this, yeah, this topic is important to me as I read stories, as I read um, popular fiction, young adult fiction, um, I've started to see lots of trends of just formulaic stories that are intentionally written um and when i say intentionally i mean i don't mean that the that the author is always sitting there behind their computer going like you know with this maniacal laugh um (laughs) trying to think like how can i like make sure that my readers are in like this crying mass like massive heap of bad mental health, you know, by the end of this book or by the middle of this book or whatever. Um, I don't, I really don't think that they are that cold hearted and that intentional about it. But I do think that there is a mindset of like, how can I get my people, these people to keep turning pages? How can I keep them on the edge of their seat? And that sometimes um, they are not paying attention to the fact that, um, that they're actually doing a lot more damage than they realize by doing, by by only thinking about that and not thinking about the deeper issues of the heart. And so, yeah, it's just become really important to me um, to bring a little bit more light to this issue, which I feel like nobody's talking about.
0: Well, there was one author who specifically tipped her hand. Uh, Maybe she did not mean to be hostile or to wreck the reader, uh, but the author whose tweet, I believe, that inspired your first article uh, did actually use that phrase? We're actually doing that as a direct quote in this title. That wreck you, the reader. Um, right. Do you have that in front of you? Like, what what exactly was it that she said, and uh, how was your response when you saw uh, what this person seemed to be accidentally revealing?
2: Yeah. So, so she says, and I, I've got two pieces of this: the tweet and one of the comments um, was also pretty telling, I think. So the tweet says, "Sometimes I lose sight of why I." I want this whole being an author thing because the anxiety can be very much. Then this week, a reader said I emotionally destroyed them. And I remembered, ah, yes, that, that is why. Uh, And then the follow-up comment is it's easy to get overwhelmed with cover reveals and marketing and publicity and arcs and reviews and lists and all that and forget the whole point of it all, which is, of course, to wreck you, the reader.
0: So that's the point of it all. That's the chief end of author in this person's rhetoric anyway, is not to tell a great story, uh, not to glorify God and enjoy him forever, uh, not even to serve the reader, but to wreck the reader. is what At least she says anyway, which may be different from an actual more beneficial heart motive, but uh, as uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he tweets, it would seem to be.
2: Yeah, and you know, granted, this person is um, not a believer, so I'm not expecting them to be like, you know, My passion is to communicate truth and to glorify God, you know, but, but at the same time, um, even secular society is aware of mental health is aware that we have a very serious, like anxiety problem that, that a huge portion of our society struggles with anxiety. Um, so to, to not be aware of that and to be callous towards it is, I don't know, a little telling a little scary in my view.
1: This brings up the question: Like, if you just type in "emotionally destroyed" into Google, you get all these search results about abuse, <laughs> and so it's like, right. you know, is is that what we're talking about? Is are authors that do this to readers are they actually psychologically abusing them? Mm-hmm. You know, or is this something on the level of to play devil's advocate or something? Is this on the level of going on a scary roller coaster or going through a haunted house? You know, which those are popping up all over Texas right now. Every abandoned store everywhere is now a spirit Halloween or some kind of you know house of horrors thing, which is great. So you know, is 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 it on the level of that? But even as you know, I don't go to those because that's Mm -hmm. there's something really not just creepy like in the imagery, but there's something creepy about people that take pleasure in causing this like emotional pain in others. And so, could we even talk about this in, in terms of abuse?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that there are definitely times when it is that way. It genuinely is. And I don't, and it's not always intentional, but at the same time, some of the pushback I got on this article is saying like, well, you know, we need story tension, you know, how can you write a story without story tension? And and it sounds like this is just something that you struggle with. And this isn't something that a bunch of people struggle with and to each his own. And there's some truth in that that somebody has to be able to sit down and read and, and open a book and say, I can't handle this right now. There's nothing wrong with this story, but I can't handle this right now. And to know themselves, um, to know their own limits. Um, but like you're saying, that's, that's not going to be the case. There are, there are books where, um, where you pick it up and you realize this person is, is genuinely just trying to hurt me. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, I think that, that, depending on the level of it, depending on the severity, you could categorize that as an abuse of your readers.
0: well, Marion, let us dare to cite a specific example if you don't mind <laughs> because your first article did that. Uh, we actually right. included uh, the example of uh, the novel Divergent uh, one of the one of one of the the somewhat popular examples from the dystopian craze about ten or twelve years ago or so, kind of peaked with the *Hunger games and then Uh, You had Divergent come along for the ride, uh, and then that franchise kind of flamed out, and then everybody went home uh, amidst pieces of broken contracts and partial offers to take the whole thing to streaming and all that stuff. (laughs) I've not read Divergent. Yeah, no, no, I've not read it. I read The Hunger Games, uh, which I, I don't know whether this would count as an example, but you were specifically exploring that novel as what seemed to be an example of this kind of uh, not not just tension because of course every story must have conflict and tension if it's to be realistic our real world has that uh, but tension for its own sake how how would you read that book as an example of what you're talking about
2: yeah well really quick just to just to touch on the hunger games really quick um i would say that the hunger games is definitely less severe In this category, but um I would still say that it it kind of fits a bit, um, Mm -hmm. more in a macro sense and less in like a page-to-page sense. Um, since the Hunger Games, um, especially the last book, is a very much nothing good happens and the only bad things happen through most of the book. And then in the end, any kind of happiness that you're left with is very minimal. And not only that, but the character. That Katniss was trying to save and I don't want to leave put in spoilers here but let's just say the character that Katniss was was attempting to save um, ends up dying in the end of the third book so it really feels that a lot of um, a lot of what the point um, was lost in all of that it was not done in, in any way that was that was meant to to bring healing um, there was just a lot of pain and the little bit of healing that is left at the end is not really, is a little bit like putting a Band-Aid on an open wound.
0: And um, that's really what you're, we're talking about, again, is, right. is not pain, so, is not character suffering. You're not saying, oh, this is wrong. You know, you're not advocating for some sort of G-rated, uh, cleaned up, you know, sentimentalist world. We were talking some about this in our last episode with L.G. McCary. So this, this episode is actually kind of a spiritual sequel to that. But it's more about questioning this tension that exists for its own sake uh, with reveling in the tragedy, reveling in the pain and the suffering and the angst uh, without not just a clean, wrapped up, tidy, happy ending, but denying, uh, almost tearing down, wrecking the happy ending.
2: Right. Yeah. And I, so I, I mean, I, I am a little bit more generous with, uh, the hunger games, even though, um, I don't, I don't like the books. I don't recommend the books. Um, but I don't think that they are as bad as some other books. Um, I think that divergent, um, it's diff it's difficult to talk about this because I divergent does have a huge fan base. Um, I have gotten a lot of flack about talking about it. I've had people specifically say, that Veronica Roth did not intend to hurt anybody. Um, I guess there were complaints about her, what she did with the ending of her book, which I don't really mind spoiling this since I really don't, really, really don't encourage anybody to read it because the, um, so I don't mind saying that the main character dies in the end. So a lot of people are, you know, were saying, what were you trying to do? You know, you hurt me, you know, you hurt us. Um, And she just really said, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. And I think that's true. I believe her. I don't think she meant to hurt anybody. I don't think she was sitting there, like I said. I don't think she was sitting there behind her computer, like laughing maniacally, trying to rip people apart. I think it was it was likely done unconsciously. But although that is true, and although um, I grant it to her, it was still done, you know. And so, Divergent is a good example for this topic since it's not just the the macro level of wreckage; it's also the micro um it's a page to page kind of wrecking and what i mean is um there's a a formulaic way that that authors are often taught to write which you can see very clearly in the way that she's introducing characters um or having events unfold um or having the way that characters are speaking to each other and what i mean is oftentimes sh- she might introduce a new character And then that character um, would become lovable. You would grow emotionally attached to the character. And then they would either turn evil or die soon after that. Wow. Um, And then, so it really is, was quite, I felt quite intentional of let's make this character lovable because I'm about to do something hard with them. On top of that, there was the, the romantic relationship between Triss and um the male love interest four and his name was four, right? Just for- I, yeah, his yeah, name was yeah. four. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify that.
1: Because <laughs> <For> reasons.
2: Because <laughs> reasons. Yeah. Um yeah, so between them you have this uh dynamic of they're in love. It's uh it was a quick thing. Not only is it their their relationship I think is like overly sexy and sensual pretty much throughout the entire thing. The kind of thing that's like, let's squeeze into tight spaces so that we're forced to touch each other kind of, you know, dynamic. Oh, no, it's so
0: cold outside. The only way (laughs) to survive is to sleep together. (laughs) Nothing happened, but everything (laughs) happened.
2: (laughs) I feel like that's just... I don't know. Squeezing into tight spaces is like a little bit of a cliche in my mind, but that type of dynamic. But you have this guy that keeps saying, please stop putting yourself in danger. You're going to die and I can't live without you. And he would repeat this mantra over and over and over again. Please stop putting yourself in danger. You're going to die. I can't live without you over and over throughout three books. And so imagine this, imagine this, um, this like he's basically the man uh like with a crank you know he's cranking the tension literally like every time he says this cranks the tension every time she puts herself in in danger cranks the tension throughout three books and then at the very very end you know he like every time he 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 cranks it the reader is pulled higher and higher into the air by this rope and suddenly they're like they're like the tension is so high they like they're basically at the top of a skyscraper, and then she dies, and she puts herself in danger <laughs> and dies, that. and the well, rope I, I, I is guess cut. We were warned. And she, okay, and the yeah, the rope is cut suddenly. That this this tension has been cranked so high, the rope is cut, and the reader just like falls <laughs> and to their death suddenly. And and why why say that over and over and over again? knowing you're going to kill this character if you don't want the reader to feel it deeply, deeply.
1: And that's, and that's the key thing there. It, it's not just a tragic story. It is a deeply emotionally experienced tragedy. I mean, cause I've read plenty of Shakespeare, Shakespeare, wrote a lot of tragedy and yeah, you feel something when you read it, or especially if you see a, one of the plays that one of the tragic plays, but it's, it's on a really different level with books like this. And I, I think I see, I, I think I read the first book of that series and I've, I've watched the movies, what,
0: all two of them or was there three? I forget. They tried to do two? the final one split into two. This trick. was a
1: long time ago. Okay. I don't remember. Yeah. 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 They, they
0: basically count as old movies now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's the question of why authors do this. And then there's also the sep- separately. There's the question of why readers pick up these books, knowing that it's going to emotionally destroy you. And I, I think there's, you know, there's a certain personality type that only listens to like emo or, you know, kind of music and sad music. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and you know, there's studies that you can find that say, well, actually listening to sad music makes you feel happier because then it validates your sad feelings. And right. I, there might be some truth to that. I, I think music works in interesting ways. You know, there's famously, there's the song by garbage uh, I'm only happy when it rains perhaps there's something to that. And like I said, I think people like to go on scary adventures where they're not going to actually be harmed. Uh, Like, like I said, like roller coasters or skydiving. Well, I guess that's still kind of dangerous. I also just wonder, are readers engaging these stories just because they want to feel something,
0: something, anything.
1: Yeah. Are are we so, you know, have we numbed ourselves with so many other things in, in this world? And are we just, you know, a lot of people are just comfortable, and and they feel guilty about being middle class, or they um feel guilty about their you know privilege or something. And and is that what it is? It's like, well, I I gotta feel something, even if it's something really bad,
0: or I need to gain some experience that I don't have, and that I subconsciously suspect will make me a better or more mature person. We we touched on that in our last episode as well.
1: Well, and here's something I I found. This is sort of from. The perspective of a, of an author and also who, who's also a reader, she says to the fact when I'm not writing or reading to shake myself out of complacency, Ooh, that this hmm. cruel world wants to bury us in. So that gives me a clue that I, I think the motive in a lot of cases is, you know what? I'm really complacent to all the injustice going on around me and I better shake myself out of this. I'm kind of lukewarm.
0: That's not my problem. It's the world out there. What done it to me?
1: Well, not lame, just that. Blame for sin, it, scapegoating? It's like, uh, I should feel worse about how bad the world is.
0: It and is this can give of, me
1: purpose? I don't know, but you it's know, like there's, there's uh, almost what, some what, truth what, to this. What do you think, Mary? Yeah, go ahead, Marion.
2: Well, instantly what comes to mind is um, West Side Story. And, you know, it's supposed to be a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, but it has so many more layers, so many more layers. It's about racism. Um, I don't know if, any, if you guys have seen it, but basically you've got these two street gangs. One uh, in New York, one is white, one is Puerto Rican. They hate each other. And who falls in love but a Puerto Rican girl and a white boy who used to be a member of this gang? And of course, they it's, it's doomed from the beginning, just like Romeo and Juliet. And I don't know if you remember this, but in Romeo and Juliet, uh, Romeo kills... Uh, in a fit of rage i believe kills juliet's cousin yes and so in the west side story he kills her brother Mm. um and and just in a fit of rage i didn't mean to i i'm so sorry and in the end you have this tragedy of the white guy tony is his name ends up being killed And she she lives, which is slightly different. She lives and walks away. And it's this tragedy because and why is this so attractive to to us? Because I I I will admit I am a fan of West Side Story. Mm. Um, But why is this attractive? But I think the fact the fact remains that, like, you know, you're talking about complacency of something. Well, are we complacent about racism? Is racism tearing us apart and so, and, and this is like, it's an older movie, you know, this isn't 2020 we're talking about. This is, this is, um, movie is from what the sixties. Oh,
1: well, and they're redoing it now, aren't they? For They uh,
2: are, they are. It's coming out yeah. in December and I, I got chills watching the uh, trailer. I don't mean to imply that like tragedy and death can never, can never prove a point, can never have meaning, shouldn't ever be done. But at the same time, um, there, there was a point, there was purpose and and the healing that happens actually in the in the end of the story isn't in the movie itself it's in the viewer you know it's the viewer's needs to step back and say why did this happen can i prevent something like this from happening with my actions i would say i probably won't be writing stories like that but i'm not going to say that no one should i do happen to think that like they should be that stories like that should be not written or told as often because it really can feel tend to feel like that in the end it's just all sadness it's just all death which is not the end of our story in Christ
0: yeah I think this uh, illustrates uh, or actually I I see a I see potential crossover here between that other topic of uh, that kind of romantic tension or sexual tension that just keeps tightening and tightening and tightening uh, and this this kind of this tragical tension, or this the suffering, the death, the dread, the existential threat that just keeps tightening and tightening and tightening. Uh, both of these seem to appeal to a certain kind of vulnerable reader, a vulnerable personality, and it calls for some kind of responsibility by other people in this person's life, by even the uh, the creative community to understand the impact that their stories will have on people. And you have all kinds of authors, especially in the secular market, who are going on about. Uh, sensitivity readers, and making sure that they are not appropriating someone's culture. And, you know, that's a related topic, but at least uh, in a a good sense, it illustrates that people are trying to understand that their stories have power. Uh, How they show a character or how they describe their appearance can grievously wound somebody or at least make someone feel that they've been grievously wounded. Mm -hmm. And yet this is an area that people don't seem to want to talk about, especially with the sexual content, uh, because that is sacrosanct and must never be questioned. Uh, lest you reveal yourself to be a secret member of the theocratic police who just wants all the women to stay in kitchen and, in the kitchens and have 28 children. There's a scripture verse that describes the effect of these emotions. And it's Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when longing is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. Some stories will defer the hope. Uh, just postpone mm-hmm. it. Kick the can down the road. And they just defer it and defer it and defer it. And then by the end, you get next to no hope whatsoever. And suddenly the reader's heart is sick. Uh, the reader has been wrecked. There's no healing there. Uh, you have to get mm-hmm. that from outside the story. And um, the story has wrecked you, the reader. Uh, but you also, uh, in your sequel article, which I really appreciate your follow-up here, and you addressed a lot of some of the, some of the pushback to your first article, in your sequel article, uh, you're exploring that theme of a longing fulfilled as a tree of life. Uh, just as in real life, we do have longings, uh, we have postponed hopes, we have sick hearts. Uh, but uh, one thing that you said in this article was that good books should imitate Jesus, harming only with intent to heal. And this goes to how we view Jesus Christ. We don't have a prosperity theology where if you follow the right steps, uh, you'll get all your dreams fulfilled. Uh, you won't have a hope deferred. You may even avoid sickness or poverty or suffering. Uh, no, Christians, biblical Christians, don't believe that. Uh, but we do believe in healing. We believe that we ought to seek fulfillment of these hopes. We're not spiritual. We're not torturing ourselves. Uh, we don't engage in self-harm. How would you describe, then, a a better story that helps to heal you, the reader, using only those uh, those tensions? Uh, for a more redemptive purpose?
2: I'm um, going off of Proverbs, I believe. Proverbs 4.23, I want to say, is going to be a really big verse, um, which is for for me, for this topic, which is guard your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. And so this is part of that to say, is this healing me? And another verse I think is really important on this topic is Hosea six six one. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. And that's a really hard verse to swallow um, for a lot of people.
0: He has struck us down, it says. He has struck
2: us down. He has torn us. I mean, this isn't Hosea, so we're talking about... God. um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean... What do we do with that? referring to the northern kingdom who was in a complete rebellion. So yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to swallow, but, but this is, that's the reality of it. You know, God, God does strike us down. Like he is sovereign over everything in our lives. And he is, he is teaching us something and he will, he will strike us down, but he will bind us up. And that, that is, that is who he is as our maker, as our creator, as our father. And that's what we have to be as creators and, and, and readers. That's what we have to expect from authors is to expect creators to be responsible and to, and to say, I realize that I'm causing you pain, but I promise it has purpose, that I'm going somewhere with this, and that in the end, the healing that I'm going to bring to you is going to be in equal portions to how much you are hurt or better. That is essential to say, if I leave you with an open wound, I'm not going to give you a Band-Aid. I'm going to stitch you up. I'm going to give you pain medicine. I'm going to give you everything that you need to heal you. I'm going to make sure that your wound is completely healed. I'm going to watch over you to make sure that you're okay. And that that can be done in a book. Um, It is possible because that's what God does for us. Even if that isn't being done in this life, our suffering is storing up treasure in heaven and we will be healed. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And that is the end of the story. And I think that should be the end of our stories that, yes, okay, sometimes we need to have a lot of tension, but it's, it's not purposeless. It's not chaos. It's not just to get people to turn pages. It is for the intent to, to teach, to instruct, and to, and to tell someone something true about the nature of reality.
1: I I think you draw a clear line there about is there purpose to the suffering, you know, or, or like you said, or is it just chaotic suffering that seems to serve no purpose? And then likewise is the healing that a story provides. Is it restorative, Mm -hmm. you know, or is this whole process just manipulative? Because, you know, I, I can hear the objections. Okay. (laughs) Of, um, non-believers to this verse, like So God is going to strike us down just to heal us. Like, you know, is this an emotionally abusive tactic? You know, there is a similar tactic that abusers will use. And it's um, probably most famously illustrated by, uh, I believe it was Joseph Stalin. He took a chicken. Okay. And he plucked all the feathers off this chicken, putting it through horrible pain. And then he held out his hand with chicken feed and the chicken ate from his hand. And he said, humans are no different. Mm. so like you know you you can torture and abuse and severely harm people but as long as you give them what they need they will come back to you and you can control them and that was his whole purpose it was to have power and control over people and I sometimes wonder if that's what some of these books are doing yeah is is it just trying to gain some sort of psychological control over people whereas what we read in Hosea it, so that he can bind us up and revive us and raise us up that we may live. The The real truth is that there is something really rotten inside of all of us because of this, the innate sinful nature. There's something that has to die. There's something, you know, not everything in us is holy. Yeah. Not every attitude we have is is uh, is healthy. You know, God has to, like a surgeon, go in and remove these things. And he typically does that through suffering but it's not an end to itself and it's not just to get power or something over us. It's so that we would be revived and actually healed and not just superficially healed. It's so that we can actually live and have a fullness of life. And so I, I think maybe that's a good litmus test to look at with stories is, is the whole point of this process that I'm going through in this. Cause I, you know, I I've read and watched a ton of really hard stories, but is the process I'm going through a ultimately helpful process where I, I feel actually better at the end and not just superficially better. Does it actually play a role in having more abundant life?
2: People tend to underestimate just how powerful these stories are to do that, to be able to heal us, to be able to accomplish that. Um, But, you know, like Steven said earlier, like, are we running a car into our souls? You know, the thing is, is that every story gets into your heart. If I mean, if it is, especially if it's a well-written story that you just deeply love and it's not something, well, like that's forgettable. There's something about a book more than a movie that is just going to get under your skin, into your mm. heart, into your soul. And I feel like all readers know this, you know, because yeah. because they they just love it. They just the reason that they keep going back to a book instead of just watching TV instead of reading a book is because they know on some level that like this makes me feel deeply, um, more so than when I sit down to watch TV. And so to play, to, to play lightly, to, to handle these things lightly and like that they don't really affect me is just childish and and naive in my opinion
0: yeah the responsibility I think does ultimately rest with the readers uh readers need to understand their own feelings they need not to idolize their own feelings uh and and readers, especially just as individuals before we even talk about books or stories or whatever uh readers need to be aware of their own minds like part of um what my wife and I have done getting into foster care is that uh, just doing even some popular level training about how the human mind develops and then what happens. Uh, when a child from a, a trauma background or family breakup or poverty or suffering or whatever, this rewrites the mental pathways. It's called neuroplasticity. When a child is growing up, the mind is more pliable, like even down to the, uh, the, the material level. There are different connections that get formed uh, by the different experiences that people have. And even just talking about this topic, I think, helps us to know ourselves and uh, to realize, wait a minute. I may be vulnerable in this area. Like maybe I ought not read this story because it seems designed to manipulate me into feeling this tension for tension's own sake, for feeling's own sake. And we'll get to that in uh, just a moment. Uh, That kind of responsibility also uh, leads us to the segue to sponsor number two uh, for this podcast, which is uh, once again, the novel marketing podcast sponsoring this episode Uh, We've enjoyed uh, Thomas Umstadt Jr.'s uh, exploration into the more production side of these stories. Uh, Fantastical Truth is for fans who are enjoying these stories after they're made. Novel marketing from Author Media is about how you make these stories. And one of our favorite episodes uh, from Thomas is The Ten Commandments of Book Marketing. Uh, And number five of that series is Thou Shalt Not Dig Thy Well Whilst Thou Art Thirsty. I almost mangled a KJV there, assuming it hasn't been pre-mangled. This step of the Ten Commandments is mainly about how authors can feel desperate. They may jump for the quick fix or the marketing course or whatever uh, and try to find that kind of success very quickly, maybe by following a formula that is constantly building the tension on each page uh, without that redemptive end that actually helps readers heal by the end. Uh, That's my thought. Uh, Thomas's thought here is to encourage authors to pace themselves, invest conservatively, create a budget and stick to it, and get a job. Uh, You don't expect to suddenly earn a full-time living from the stories you're creating as an author. Uh, Lots of opportunities abound to find find writing or editing work uh, out there so you can still stick close to the writing discipline, Uh, but that is his encouragement. And of course, Author Media includes many resources for that in addition to the novel marketing podcast you can find more as usual in the show notes for this episode episode 83 or go to our uh, always on page uh, for podcast sponsors lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors so back then to our main subject uh, marion after your articles uh, the first one about uh, no don't wreck the reader this this isn't good this isn't healthy and then your second one, yes, stories should help heal the reader, uh, helping to explore what you meant and kind of answer some of the feedback. Like, well, what is some of the feedback that you got from this? And I mean, at, at risk of covering ground we've already covered, like, how, what are some misunderstandings uh, that readers have uh, when you start saying that tension should not be in books for its own sake, but should lead in some way towards uh, a sense of healing for the reader?
2: Yeah, I am some of some of it I've mentioned before. Just um, people think. Um, thinking that I was trying to communicate, um, we shouldn't have very much tension at all, which is why I wrote the second one to say, well, that's not really what I meant. But also I think a lot of people just saying, well, this isn't, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just trying to write an entertaining book. I'm not trying to teach truth. I'm just trying to write an entertaining book. That was the author response, I should yeah, say. Just
0: entertainment, a, a complex we've challenged frequently at Lorehaven and right. Fantastical Truth.
2: Yes, yes. So I don't know too much about reader response, but I would say that there um, overall there is a mindset both with uh, with readers as well to, to say, I'm not reading this book um, in order to be taught something or to be educated. I'm I'm reading this book to be entertained um i'm not reading it to figure out what's true and what's not true and here's the here's the problem with that i don't think that there is a book out there that isn't trying to communicate something true whether they know it or not and that's why i think relativism eventually falls apart is because people think who think that they're relativists aren't really <laughs> um they do believe in absolute truth and they are trying to communicate truth a book Is trying to communicate something true to you. Now it's your job to figure out whether or not the thing that they're communicating is actually true. And the reason that we know this is because it is literally taught in how to write a book that every character at the beginning of the book has a lie that they are supposed to believe. And then they go through a a journey for that lie to unravel so that they can. Learn something true. What is the opposite of a lie but the truth? Um, So if you're thinking, I'm not reading this book to, to learn truth, you're learning something whether you know it or not. And the same goes for writers who say, I'm not writing to communicate truth. You're writing something true whether you know it or not. Is it actually true? Is what the author is communicating actually true you've got to ask that question because they are communicating something and just like just like everyone had been saying about veronica roth you know she didn't mean to hurt you she maybe that's true maybe she wasn't actively thinking about it but she communicated something and maybe she did it naively but she did communicate something and that was something wasn't true um it was destructive so i think it's 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 Incredibly important for people to realize stories are about truth, whether you like it or not.
1: You know, I realize what it is, Marion, about uh, the Divergent series that was so hurtful to people was not simply the tension, but it was the sense of betrayal that you felt at the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. You know, you thought because of the way this is being set up that uh, Four is going to save Triss or keep her out of danger or maybe sacrifice himself but then she just dies. <laughs> and so that, that feels, yeah, it feels like a bit right. like a bait and switch of what uh, you expect to have happen. And okay. A lot of people look at that like, Oh, what a plot twist. Wow. I never saw that coming. And um, a, a similar thing happened with the TV show 24 with uh, Kiefer Sutherland. And so this is, I'm going to spoil season one. So if you don't want to hear the spoilers, skip, but season one is all about uh, Jack Bauer's, wife and daughter being kidnapped for these, uh, terrorists to get leverage over him, uh, and and force him to assassinate the president. And, you know, he works for this counterterrorism agency. And so he's supposed to be protecting the president. And, uh, so the whole season is about him trying to not assassinate the president while at the same time doing everything else he has to do to, to stay alive or keep his loved ones alive. And then, uh, What do you think happens at the end? Well, he does actually save the president, uh, but then his wife dies. Wow. Like, like in the very last second uh, of the series and, you know, and it's like the whole series is about like this minute to minute thing. And it's supposed to take place exactly over 24 hours. And so literally the last minute is is his wife dies and then that's it. Roll credits. (laughs) And, you know, and everyone was just like, Whoa, Oh my gosh. Like what a plot twist. But it's like, Hmm. Yeah, I kind of don't like that. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it, it it was shocking, and that sort of set the tone for the rest of you know that that series. But but there's something about that sense of betrayal mm-hmm. that, that I think that's really what we're what we're talking about here. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I, I this is something I say a lot, which is that you don't have to trust an author. You don't have to trust them, and. Picking up a book, there's some level of trust in picking up a book that, you, and you don't know the author, um, but hold that in suspense, mm. you know, hold, hold trust and suspense because trust is something that is earned. And if over the course of a book, you, you begin to distrust them at the end of the book, if you realize they're not trustworthy, then, then just don't go back and that's okay. And it's okay to not, to not finish a book. It's okay to not finish a series.
1: Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's
0: the job of the reader, uh, to, well, especially the Christian reader. Uh, their job is not to just be entertained. Uh, their job is not to do something, anything to help them feel, even if it's a negative feeling. Uh, that way lies some really dark stuff. Uh, I don't think it's great to practice that in terms of your fiction preferences any more than it would be to damage your own body. Uh, that goes back to our earlier mention of the issue of what messages are spreading on social media about beauty and body image and such like there's there's some real darkness there definitely predates the social media age but you get these social contagions that can spread and that would take us pretty far afield christian fans are responsible for making sure that they don't go in that direction that they value themselves as christ values them he will not hurt you without intent to heal his hurt is for your good you are eventually going to be a resurrected saint who's beyond all suffering and pain and tension for its own sake. That's the real world. The real world is not this dark place where people die for no reason. It may seem like that for now, and that is real, Uh, that tension is real, and some may have more of it than others. Uh, But if we're blessed not to have that in real life, I I don't think that that's something that we need to feel we must get in order to be more real, as to go into these kinds of stories uh, to gather up negative experiences to hoard. Conversely, I'm thinking of our episode Zach that we did about C.S. Lewis's quote. Uh, C.S. Lewis would not agree with this notion that stories are just meant to entertain us. Uh, when he was putting together his fantasies, uh, he had images in mind—these uh, you know pictures that would come to him out of nowhere. Uh, he then gave them form. That's when the author steps in, uh, and then his role as the Christian citizen steps in. He called it the man. Uh, the stories had to serve a purpose not just for their own sake, not just to tell a nice story, not to entertain, uh, but he did say, wait a minute, these are fun images and I'm going to tell them as a fairy tale, but they also have a purpose to help us get past those stained glass obligations that people may feel as regards the church. Lewis had a purpose. He did want to teach. Uh, He just didn't teach in that fashion that people expected him to, you know, by committee, trying to come up with uh, some candy coating uh, to make the vegetables go down. I think Christian authors in particular cannot escape that obligation. I would almost go so far as to say uh, that the just entertainment explanation or defense of stories falls far short, far short of recognizing the realism of their power. Christians may not be sinning when they say this, uh, but please reconsider. Uh, Stories have good power. They are a good gift of God. Imagination is a good gift of God. Let us not take it lightly. Let's not be flippant about their impact on people. Uh, and let's not idolize this just entertainment idea.
1: Well, Marian, where is the best place for readers to connect with you online?
2: Uh, yeah, the best place would be um, on Instagram. And my name on there is at M.A. Jacobs And then um, also to sign up for my newsletter. My website is majacobs.com.
0: Fantastic. By the way, uh, Marion's also planning to join us uh, at uh, the Realm Makers live stream. It's coming up Thursday, October the 21st, 2021. It'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. We'll put that link in the show notes. Uh, James R. Hannibal, uh, author of Wolf Soldier and a previous guest of Fantastical Truth for his uh, game Dragon Raid, soon to become Light Raiders. He'll also be there, and Marion's planning to be there. And we're going to explore uh, kind of another spiritual sequel to this topic, Uh, which is the most dangerous dragons in YA fantasy. Woo. Uh, That's going to touch on a lot of these issues, uh, but we're going to try to explore some of these risks that we get that's particular to the genre, Uh, not to raise a ruckus, uh, not to be alarmist, uh, but to determine how Christians as fans can best confront these myths and fight them, Uh, not with fear, but with biblical faith. Uh, Marion. I've been looking forward to having you uh, here for quite some time. We're definitely going to have you back. And I'm really looking forward to this live stream, too.
2: Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, let's head over to the com station and hear from the fantastic fans. Autumn Grayson wrote about episode 82, quote, when I hear them and she's talking about me and Steven, when I hear them talk about. Church back home syndrome, it seems that they're more so trying to point out the unreasonable or toxic reactions that people might have in reaction to their church back home. Like, if the person automatically thinks it's a good idea to just do things the opposite of their church back home instead of having a nuanced view that makes decisions based on what actually works and what doesn't. Or there's some people that act like all of Christianity or every church is exactly like the church back home, even when that's obviously not true. It's good to point out problems that are there and have reasonable discussions and debates about them. That doesn't mean ignoring times when people have unhealthy reactions to the church too. It's hard to fix problems if we hammer really hard on one side and are completely forced to ignore the other. End quote. Autumn, I really appreciate that comment. You, You touch on something that I've been very concerned about in the last year, which is that a lot of people are using these stories of abusive pastors or dysfunctional churches to really shut out any sort of acknowledgement that there are healthy churches and healthy pastors, because indeed we follow the healer of all healers, Jesus Christ. And I, I think a lot of people are using these experiences as a shield to keep out Jesus from their own life and to push away uh, healthy fellowship and, and necessary fellowship. So much of these deconversion stories and deconstruction things, it, it's, it's gotten very unhealthy and very unhelpful. And it, you know, frankly, it's being used like a bludgeon against a lot of Christians that are just average, ordinary Christians. And, uh, they're getting kind of lumped all together with these, uh, honestly criminals that are wolves in sheep's clothing that should be called out. But, most of the people in church are sheep, not not wolves. So thanks for writing that. I really appreciate that comment.
0: Amen to that. This tendency has been going on for quite some time. I would wager going all the way back to church history. But uh, a friend of mine once, uh, once coined a term for that. He called it hate watching the church. And this actually <laughs> does rhyme with our topic for this episode, uh, this idea of sinking so deep into all the nastiness, uh, all the negativity of the tension of there's bad churches out there. And um, they're going to hurt you. They're going to get you. They're going to make you mentally sick. You know, uh, all of that is a truth. There are bad churches. There are abusive pastors. Uh, there are mental health issues, as we were talking about with LG McCary in that episode. But that is not the whole truth. Uh, in Christ, we are supposed to seek the whole truth, and the whole truth includes not just all these wrecks of churches or wrecks of emotions that go on from these stories, but the whole truth also includes healing. You cannot get the whole gospel. You cannot live in the real world that God is authoring uh, unless you recognize that healing and so I really appreciate the autumn you recognizing that other readers other other listeners want to hear from you about this like how have you maybe uh, dealt with stories that attempt to wreck you emotionally uh, without that hope of healing and then maybe what are some of the best stories that you've read that helped you go through some of those tensions but with a grand finale uh, that helped you see a, a greater picture of the universe uh, where we don't just get pain, but we also get healing in Christ. So you can email us at podcast at lorehaven.com. Find us on the Instagram lorehaven there. Uh, we're also hoping to do an event for Narnia day coming up Saturday, October 16th. So stay tuned to our Instagram and other social media feeds. You can also find lorehaven on Facebook and at lorehaven on Twitter. Also go to the site and uh, subscribe right there at lorehaven.com. We have all kinds of articles every week as well as the Tuesday podcast episodes and Friday reviews uh, like this one. Uh, We did just put that up on Friday uh, for LG McCary's novel, That Pale Host, the subject of episode 82, in which we said... That pale host slips through the walls of time, exposing spectral groanings too deep for words and the hope of healing that often lingers just out of reach. End quote. I will own that sentence. I did write it. I will out myself as a uh, <laughs> part-time member of the review team. And I was thinking about this very conversation coming up with Marion. Uh, I think that this story is a good example of tension on every page and yet a, a real and final-ish healing by the end. There are good guys throughout the book who stay good. They're not going to turn on you. Uh, the author doesn't turn on you uh, any more than these characters do. And yet there are also some betrayals. Uh, there's a real bad Christian social drama going on here and ghosts and all the things. Uh, but by the end, uh, it is for the purpose of redemption. And that's that's what I think, to some extent, every Christian-made story does need to be about. That's a scary topic, though, and you'll find more scary shares going on throughout October, uh, not just topics from the podcast, uh, but also from the archives at Lorehaven. So make sure you subscribe at lorehaven.com and get all that scary exploration. Next on Fantastical Truth, Christian fiction is also cringe and cheesy. Well, so many critics have said over the years But one author is now challenging this line, and it is Daniel Silliman, a Christianity Today news editor. He's also the author of the newly released nonfiction book called Reading Evangelicals. In that book, he goes over five very popular Christian fiction titles, including three fantastical novels, This Present Darkness, Left Behind, and The Shack. Daniel is planning to join us to explore big questions, more scary questions like, Why did Christian readers love these books, and how did they change evangelicals' imaginations and help build our communities? Meanwhile, the application writes itself. If you are stuck in these tension-building books that are playing with your emotions and even threatening to wreck you for no reason, you're under no obligation to owe that author your trust. To help take care of yourself and to glorify Jesus, you can put that book down if you need to, and try to find stories that may have plenty of tension and conflict, just like real life, but that also do a better job pointing you toward that ultimate healing that we find only in Jesus Christ as we continue to seek and find His fantastical truth.